Welcome to The Q, Conversations in Digital Media. This podcast is brought to you by Q1 Media, digital campaign execution and optimization since 2004. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Q. I know uh, most of you are probably listening to this podcast and maybe quarantined inside your homes. Uh, It's been a a rather unusual time uh, for the country right now, and we totally get that. Q1 Media, as a company, has, uh, you know, gone completely remote, and I believe we're on day maybe 12 of quarantine, if I had to to kind of pick it. And I know everybody else is kind of dealing with the same thing, and um, we I hope everybody is staying safe out there, you're healthy, keeping in touch with family, and uh, obviously uh, keeping social distancing uh, per uh, the guidelines of the CDC or all the other different uh, local um, governments that are with, have their different re- recommendations. So hope everybody is doing well. I know um, there's been some shifts within the market space. Uh, I know at Q1 Media, we're seeing a lot of shifts within our own uh, partners that we work with. Uh, to kind of offset some of the uh, changes that have happened. Uh, so obviously you can always reach out to Q1 Media, uh, go to q1media.com to um, you know, visit, see case studies, um, and even just send a quick note. And if you need any sort of help to navigate this space, we are here for you. With all of that said, we actually had our first virtual podcast today, and we had a great guest on the show. Uh, her name is Gay Gaddis. She's a true pioneer, trailblazer within the advertising world. Um, she's an artist. Uh, she, she's a writer, has a book out there. It's called Cowgirl Power, Kick-Ass in Business and Life. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. She also has it on Audible. She did she did her own voice work for it, which she had an interesting story in this podcast to talk about. Um, but her real work started back in the days of, she's from East Texas, a uh, small town uh, girl, but then really had some motivating um, reasons to get into business and, and get in the business world that interested her and uh, begin in the advertising space of the Mad Men era, so to speak, uh, as she called it, uh, Mad Men era with, uh, with, uh, with boots. <laughs> but it was a great conversation with her talking about the advertising space, um, her being in that. Uh, she worked for the Richards Group in Dallas as a creative, uh, in the creative department, one of the first two uh, women hired on the, into the Richards Group. So that was very interesting to her to talk about uh, being a woman in the workforce back then, especially within the advertising industry. Um, she actually successfully sold T3 just this past, past October. So she's, um, you know, kind of been just really getting out there and uh, getting in uh, touch with a lot of different people, helping lead. And I think this conversation, along with her art and her creative aspect, was really kind of a good uh, conversation to have and just to, to listen to her uh, in a time where we all kind of need a break from the news cycle that we're all listening to. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Again, you can check out the book. It's called Cowgirl Power. It's on Amazon. And then you can uh, go to her website at gaygaddis.com. And you're in the queue. Well, thanks, Gay. Thank you for joining us here in the queue. I know this is a uh, this is a very unusual time that we're all kind of going through, and this is our first virtual podcast that we are recording. It's Friday, uh, March twenty seventh, so we're already about what twelve days into the quarantine. How, yes. how are you doing during this time? 
Well, I am totally fortunate and blessed, to be honest, because uh, we have a ranch that's about an hour and 10 minutes outside of Austin, and I'm always yearning to be out here because this is where I do a lot of my creative pursuits. Uh, I'm a painter. I'm an artist. Uh, I'm a writer. I you know, wrote a book, which we, we can talk about. And uh, also, just kind of this is where I do my thinking, and I'm working on some, some new initiatives. So it's kind of like a, when I was writing my book, I had to kind of sequester myself for a while to get it finished. And so if this doesn't go on too much longer, this is actually a welcome retreat for me to get work done. But it's also extremely difficult and just watching what's going on around us in the world and, and the suffering and, and terrible situation going on with our businesses. It's, it's really disturbing. So it, it's almost not the same because where I would normally be out here kind of feeling good about things and able to, to come out and, and do what I want to do. Now I have a heavy heart and uh, even just trying to do basic tasks and things, it's, mm-hmm. it's really difficult for all of us. Yeah, it is. I, I think you're, you, you kind of nailed it on the head. There's, there's, it's not, it doesn't feel like a normal, you know, for yourself getting away at the ranch and no. really kind of re- letting loose and relaxing or focusing on writing or painting all the many things you do. It's, it's with a heavy heart and you're constantly kind of thinking about it. I mean, we're all trying to go about our business and do our part, which is good. Um, so, you know, we're all doing that. We're social distancing yes. <laughs> and uh, quarantined. I don't know what day you're on, but I know it's been like, you know, day 11 or 12 for most people. But yeah, it is. Um, yeah I mean, I speak to the business portion. I mean, I guess I know, um, you know, we can get into a little bit later about, um, you know, your, your, uh, your sale of T3, but have you heard uh, and keeping close contact? I know your, your son is very, very heavily still involved. Um, well, of the- course I'm concerned. And, you know, what I always tell everyone is that, I, like I said, I I've been through several recessions, and unfortunately, the advertising business takes a really hard blow, like some of the other industries now that are during this unprecedented time. But uh, sometimes marketing and ad budgets get cut early, and so I've, I've been, you know, concerned, but I'm not there, and so you know, I'm not really able to to affect what's going on. But uh, I'm always concerned. You know, it's my baby. I started the business almost 31 years ago, and uh, I always wanted to do well. And and the larger company that bought us, but uh, all, all, all businesses are suffering right now. I don't know, if, unless, of course, I think you're in the paper goods business and perhaps you're doing okay because of the rush on toilet paper, et cetera, but, um, <laughs> but it, it, everyone's suffering in the same way. So it, it's, it's like we say, we're all in it together, um, but it, it's just really, really hard to watch this. Um, I'm yeah. the, also the chairman of the Texas Business Leadership Council, and we have, are having weekly calls and, and briefing the media as well because, you know, it's one thing to watch it on an international level, on a national level, but we're also home here at Texas, and what are we doing about it, and what can we affect? Uh, the oil and gas business is extremely um, suffering right now as well as we all know, and that was kind of happening. So um, just watching that, you know, and, and, and watching what's the good things that, are, that a lot of people are doing. And, and that gives you some uplift to know that people are volunteering and helping and, and doing what they can. But it's just, again, it's just a really, really tough time on every level. And I'm out here in the country is what we call it. Yeah. And so in Burnett County, there have been a couple cases. Um, it's still... Feeling remote, though, uh, I, I was just in New York City, City, literally March 6th, I left there. Wow. Um, and so to see the difference, I was at a conference of almost a 1,000 people on March the 6th. I was staying at uh, the Harvard Club, and, and people were business as usual, pretty much. It was still, it was getting a little spooky, but nothing like now. And, and my goodness, the whole city is strangled. It, it's just 
really hard to believe. Yeah, no, you're, wow. I mean, yes, I know that that's uh, right now, especially New York City being really like ground zero for like the, all the cases. And it's it's really insane. You mentioned something earlier too, just before we popped on and and normally during, you know, a crisis or or say natural disasters, we're able to come together as communities. And you said that's that's kind of difficult now with the way we're, we're separated, um, whether that's family or, or friends, coworkers. Yeah, it's everybody we, you know, want to be in touch with. Um, it is family. It is, uh, especially we talked earlier, too, about the elderly folks, and I kind of know where I fit and all that. But, uh, you know, we want to be careful with some of our at-risk population, and uh, you just cannot take a risk with that. But the other thing is really, you know, every crisis I've been through in my life, I was able to pull people around me that I loved and and be it coworkers, be it just people in your community coming together. Um, I think about my parents going through World War II and my father was involved in those conflicts and, and fought overseas. And my mom talked to me so much about it, about how everyone would come together and, and women went to work. I mean, you know, everyone was out there doing their part, but we were together. And every recession that I've been through, uh, be it bad or good or when, it, one point, you know, we lost a big piece of, piece of business uh, in my company. But again, we brought everyone together and we solved problems together. We hugged each other. We cared. We mm-hmm. took things to each other. We, you know, it was just like a different feeling altogether that I've never experienced. Yeah, I think it's it's a, and we won't talk about it too much. We will get over into your story, but I, I, I think it is interesting that nobody really alive today has been through this. Um, and, and it's very strange and I think it's, it's very difficult for some businesses to navigate, especially if you're small businesses, which I know you're very closely tied to. So I'd be interested to know, I mean, do you, I mean, are there conversations around, um, you know, all the economic reasons or like, I guess, trying to get small business loans or the grant or whatever it is. I mean, what, what are conversations being tied, tied around right now? Well, everyone was waiting for the House to pass this bill, which, again, is unprecedented. I can't believe $2 trillion, and it just passed. So it will be signed by the president. And we hope, I mean, all of us as a business community hope that uh, some of the businesses will be able to use this to stay afloat so we can get through this. And the oddest thing, too, is that our economy was in great shape before this happened. So thank goodness, because if it had already been in uh, recession mode and then this on top of it, it would have been even worse. But I I do hope that some of the relief uh, that Fortunately, we had a bipartisan agreement on this, and we're getting something out there. I just hope they can get it out sooner than later, because there's a lot of folks who really, really need the help. And any way we can support each other, we're trying to do. I mean, you know, people doing takeout at restaurants or just ordering things online or doing things just to try to keep the economy moving is so critical right now. Yeah, I just ordered food for lunch, uh, and we're, we're recording this a little after lunch, and I just re- yeah. uh, ordered food, and I got a really nice post-it note from the local uh, uh, business saying, really thank you for supporting us and local business, keeping us afloat, and it was a smiley face, handwritten note. I'm like, wow, this is this is amazing, and I, I'm not doing, I mean, yes, I love the food, and I'm supporting it and that for that cause, but you know, I also need to eat, so. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, thanks for talking about that a little bit. Um, I do want to get into your life and where you're from. You mentioned, obviously, kind of the roots and, I guess, uh, you know, the World War II veteran side of things. But I really want to get into where you're from um, and kind of, you know, what your family was like. I guess I imagine being on the ranch, you uh, you had that going on in your life. <laughs> 
Yeah, I always have been a country girl. Um, my mm-hmm. parents grew up in Missouri, and after the Korean conflict, which my dad was in the Corps of Engineers at that point, they were looking around the country and saying, where should we move? And they, everyone said, go to Houston, Texas, because there's a lot going on there. So he ended up moving to Houston in the early 50s and was an uh, engineer with Gulf Oil. So because of that, they transferred us to the small town northeast of Houston called Liberty, Texas, a, a very small town of less than 10,000 people, and that is where I ended up growing up. Yeah. So I had my small town roots and values and ethics that a lot came from there, and the being close to the people. And again, um, I, I mentioned in my book, and I tell people that my father died really unexpectedly when I was almost 13 years old, mm-hmm. and or I just turned 13, and there was another crisis where everyone came together. I cannot imagine people right now losing a loved one and not even being able to gather those from around the country, around them that uh, cared about that individual. So so my small town roots, though, taught me a lot. And I was um, kind of a in a lot of ways on a, a small stage, but a big stage at the same time. I was an extroverted child and got to be in plays and musicals and led things in my school, was a good student. I was real involved with my uh, godfather's rice farming and spent a lot of time out there. And what kind of remember, did you, did you, were you in? Oh, listen, I, this is what's so funny about my book, Cowgirl Power, because one of the ones I was in was Annie Get Your Gun, which is about yeah. Annie Oakley, who's one of the cowgirls in my book. Yeah. Um, but I did Mame and Annie Oakley and Hello Dolly. We did all these at our local theater and uh, it was, a, it was a lot of fun, a, a, a great community project actually. And so I yeah. did that. I was an artist in school. I, uh, led the drill team. I was uh, head of the student body. So I had a, a pretty interesting childhood, although, you know, did lose my dad when I was 13, which mm-hmm. changed me forever um, because it taught me how to really appreciate and make money. I had my first job when I was 13 and mm-hmm. I went to work at a jewelry store and they taught me how to engrave. And so that was a high risk job. <laughs> you, you, know, you get a, you know, expensive silver tray thrown in front of you and say, you know, engrave all this stuff from the, the PTA to the head of the you know, superintendents of this and that. And it was like these long, you know, epistles oh, that we no. put on this engraved pieces, but but uh, yeah, I started working at 13. I've worked all my life. Wow, that's crazy. No, that's a, that's a very high pressure situation when you're 13 years old and you got a lot of people above you. You're like, uh, yeah, they, they, they actually could decide my fate if I mess this up. Well, I actually did. They, they told me if I messed anything up, I had to pay for it. And the way I'd pay for it was my lost wages for the rest of my life, I guess. Uh, and so one quick funny little story is that one day they came in with a pewter jigger that had a longhorn on the top. And they said, we want you to engrave hook'em on this. Uh-huh. I kind of looked at it because pewter really soft. It's not like the other metals I was engraving on. And so I tried it. And the minute my stylus went into the pewter uh, jigger, it it sank in. And so I got through the hook, but it was pretty blurry. And I walked out crying and I said, I guess I have to pay for this. And they looked at it and they said, no, this one's on us because we just wanted to experiment and see if you could do it anyway. Oh, <laughs> and no. so I still have that jigger uh, at my bar at home because it reminds me that we can forgive. And uh, it, it was one of my first life lessons as a worker that, you know, we don't always punish the employees for things that 
can't be their fault sometimes. That's good. No, you learned a very valuable lesson. Uh, and that's good that you had that tutelage, somebody who was there and, you know, it, it could have gone the opposite way, but you had oh, a yeah. <laughs> really good uh, manager, whoever that was, that allowed you to, uh, to, to, to be at ease. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which wasn't a mistake. It wasn't your fault. <laughs> that's right. Well, I tried my best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you obviously you got very interested in the arts, um, you know, and you were, you were heavily involved in that. How do you think that, I mean, I know, m you know, making money uh, obviously was a huge priority with, with, um, you know, your growing up. Um, but how do you think that shaped you, um, the, the art side of it, um, and that maybe helped you in the business world, uh, being involved in that in early age? It's, it's really interesting. You know, I was very good at art and it was something that my mom really encouraged me to do because, you know, I don't know, I have a, a very short attention span. And so I think sometimes if she could get me to start on an art project, I'd get focused on that. And it was really a discipline for me that was very helpful. And I ended up majoring in art. I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts and Studio Art from the University of Texas at Austin. And Honestly, you know, I look back on that now, knowing that I really needed to make money when I got out of school, and I could have gotten in any of the schools at UT. I had very high grades, and so uh, I chose art, though, and ended up with, the, like I said, with a studio art degree. But while I was at the university, I started looking at options for getting a job, and, and we had a class inside the art program at the time that taught us how to be art directors and, and writers. And so I was writing copy and I could draw. And back in the day when I got out of school, we didn't have Macintosh computers and you didn't have ways to do advertising comps. So we had to draw everything. So my first job was at the Richards Group in Dallas and, and I literally drew all the comps and um, that I needed to and I wrote the copy. And that was my first step into the advertising business. But the other thing I learned, and I didn't realize it at the time, but as I reflect back on my time at the University of Texas, uh, when you're an art student, you work really hard. Uh, it's nine hours of studio work for three hours of credit. So where my other friends would be going three hours a week for three hours of credit, I was in the studio a lot, and I was working really hard. The other part of it, though, was that you learn to take a critique. And this was a valuable lesson that I didn't kind of internalize until later in my life. And that is when, you know, you do your work, you bring it into the classroom, and the professor stands there and will openly critique. Sometimes the other students could critique you. And it was all about learning to get better. And, you know, very rarely did I feel like someone was pot shotting or being snarky it was really about let's make this a better piece or let's work on how you can improve or be be a better photographer or a better illustrator whatever you're doing or painter uh, or watercolorist what all these classes that I was taking and so uh, later in life I realized you know what I'm I was a little thicker skinned about taking a critique along the way from mentors and co-workers and and people around me even clients because uh, if they were trying to make us better then I didn't take it personally. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, let's, let's figure this out. So that was a very valuable lesson uh, that art students learn that I think a lot of other disciplines don't have. Yeah, no, you're right. You're very correct. And I think it's it's because it, it is so surface, you know, like it is there, it's tangible, it's in your hands. And exactly. You know, yeah, so exactly. that, that's, but no, you're right. I, I even in college uh, did broadcast journalism, did sports broadcast, and I would get critiqued all the time as a that's right. journalist. And you constantly, you get that 
uh, what looked like is just your your article or paper got bloodied on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then it, then they're like, oh yeah, you you did all right, but you're like, wait, you edited this whole thing, you know? But uh, no, you learned to you learn through a lot of different trades, and that and I, I do appreciate that. So that's awesome. So I guess, I mean, taking that art ability over to what I mean, I mean Richard's group, one of the most well known agencies at the time. Um, and this was a different time, you know, like I, I, I can't, I can't speak to that. I'd love to learn, um, how the ad space was in that moment when you first got in there. Well, it was, it was, we call it mad men with bell bottoms. <laughs> <laughs> I had moved yeah. on to the, to the eighties, but or early eighties, but late seventies actually. And, yeah. um, you know, it was, it was really different because I was the second woman ever hired there, um, except for the secretary and the accounting gal, if we call her. Uh, and so it was really different in how uh, women were treated in those days. And it was, you know, you had to go toe-to-toe with the guys. You had to compete. There was no, you know, um, coddling of anybody. But it was also, I have to tell you, it was, uh, you know, the more I look back on it now with the Me Too movement and some of the things happening, there were some pretty compromising things that happened along the way. Fortunately, um, you know, I always kind of tried to focus on competing and being good and I didn't let it get under my skin too much but you know I got cat calls when I'd walk up the stairs and things like that It was just the way it was and uh, we didn't think about it too much at the time but you know you look back and it was a little it was intimidating in a lot of ways um, because it was guys and then these two women just me this other copywriter and so uh, it probably changed a little bit of my performance now that I look back um, but How so? like, uh, just... well, you know, I, I, I became a little bit isolated there and, mm-hmm. and actually I got, I, I just, I was about to leave, but I got fired. It was, it was terrible. I, I felt, um, I was in an introverted environment all of a sudden and I'm a big extrovert. So it was, it was, it was not mm-hmm. a comfortable place to be, but it wasn't really because of that. I, I just don't think my work flourished there. Uh, so it took me into my career, into the third job when I figured out, what environments that I was going to do best in. And uh, I, I had a very fascinating experience. Uh, my second job was as a PR director at Baylor Medical Center in Dallas, which was a fabulous opportunity. But I moved to Atlanta and worked for four guys who'd gotten their MBAs at Harvard. And we were doing leadership training, uh, strategic planning, and decision-making, team building, all that stuff, and mm-hmm. some big Fortune 100 companies because of their relationships uh, through their internships at Harvard. So I was working with them and writing about all this and helping to administer some of the personality tests and that sort of thing. And so I learned about uh, several personality tests and about the Myers-Briggs mm-hmm. type indicator. And that is was a huge defining factor for me the rest of my career because I found out for the first time what my real strengths and weaknesses were and what environments where I would do best. And so fast forward that, I built my whole company around those principles. And I really did, I think, uh, better than average job building teams because I understood diversity of thinking and personality type as well as other diversity aspects. But we were able to put people together on teams that would shore up each other's weaknesses and think differently because I learned from the Harvard men that if you put everybody in the room who's too much alike, you're never going to come up with the creative good ideas because we all, if you, you know, I can agree with someone just like me all day long. I need a contrarian. I need someone who comes at it from a different point of view. And that's how we would get, do fast prototyping and, and right. get into concepting and things that were a little different than what 
we would have done had it been just well let's, we're all these creative so let's do it this way yeah when do you think that shift um, so it, when it was, do you think that shift started to happen was it during that era of of the tests and finally starting to realize that hey you know like personalities are what make up the business and let's figure out internally operationally how this business can perform best was that around that time when you well, I was pretty early with all this, you know, really, mm -hmm. I, I got exposed to it, like I said, in 1980, uh, and it was really a, a game changer for me and the rest of mm -hmm. my career. I used it in another company before I started T3 and started to use it. I was putting it together, and I certainly built my own teams, and I used it with my clients, too, because mm -hmm. what we would find is that most clients are not like uh, the same personality type as the creative types in an agency. It's different. And that's why we need each other. Mm -hmm. And so I, I learned how to put those two modes of thinking together and help each other communicate better so we could get to the greater good at the end. But it was, I felt like I was a bit avant-garde with that. You know, it, it, it's yeah. become popular in and out for years. The Myers-Briggs has been around for a long time. It's yeah. another daughter team that came up with this thing. Uh, but it's it's really, it's it's not like a B.O. end all, but it certainly is uh, the way to um, to get to someone's zip code is what I call about it. It's not a street address, it's a zip code. And if you can get there and really help people to build on their strengths and put their weaknesses behind them, it's a, it's a great gift. I talk a lot about this in my book, that um, that's where we have to focus, each individual. You have to focus on what are those strengths that we bring and build on those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I love it. And for those of y'all who do not have uh, Gay's book yet, you should definitely get it. And I know uh, we can't necessarily go into Barnes and Noble these days, but it is on Amazon. I actually purchased it. It's called Cowgirl Power, and you can like, all I had to do was type in that, and it populated. I even said Gay Gaddis there, so you'll find it on Amazon. Um, although it might take some time, we know that this um, <laughs> is a different time to, to get the book in. But yes, definitely, I want people to go out there and, and read it. Um, well, there's two things to do. You know, one thing without tooting the horn on the book, but I, it, this is funny. So when when we sell the book, the, the print book, my agent said, we're going to sell the audio book to another company that focuses on just audio and so we did and so there is an audio version of it and what some people don't know if you haven't written a book the um, the audio group or whoever is producing it will say would you please read you know a couple chapters or read several paragraphs and send it mm -hmm. to us and then we'll determine if you're going to read the book or if we're going to hire an actor to read it for you so I didn't know what was going to happen and I thought I've got this East Texas accent and who knows what they'll do with it and so they listened to it got right back to me and said oh yeah you're reading the book because nobody else knows your stories like you. And I said, well, that's true. And so I ended up doing it in, in, in two and a half days in the studio, in the can. It's hard work. I have a new appreciation for voice talent. But I also found out that I was mispronouncing a few words in my entire life. Oh, no. And, and if you have a second, I'll tell you a funny one. Yeah, so I was sitting there right, reading along and I got to a paragraph and I said, and that was the most humbling experience of my life. So I have this guy from Grand Rapids, Michigan, who's voicing in and correcting me and helping me get through the read. And his name is Dave. And he's, Dave says, Gay, you just 
mispronounced the word humble. And he said, go back and reread that. The word is humbling. And I said, what? And there's an engineer on the other side of the glass from me. He starts laughing and he's from Texas. And he said, I bet Gay grew up near Humble, Texas. Yeah. And I said, well, I sure did. And you know, we had Humble Oil and it, that's just how we said it. And so my whole life I've said the word H-U-M-B-L-E as Humble. Yeah, <laughs> and I know. So I, I had to say it right for the book though. <laughs> oh, all those, all those those Houston Houston folks that are out there, um, uh, I'm lost in, and I'm I'm familiar with Humble. I actually had um, a really good friend that I went to college with from there, so I that's how I I knew about it. And again, if you drive through there to this day, it's not Humble, it's Humble. That's right. <laughs> but, uh, that's interesting. No, they they knew they pin, he pinpointed exactly where you where you were from. <laughs> that's hey, that's getting down to the zip code, right? I mean, you can that's you right. can find it. Um, well, that's awesome. And I wanted to kind of ask you too. Um, I mean, we've talked. About your creative side, but you know what really impacted the business aspect uh, of your interest in, and not only just advertising, but like what what was it that really kind of got you interested in the business aspect? Well, let's go back to this. You know, like I said, I started working at thirteen, and I always had to make money, and then I got really motivated by it, and not just making money for myself and my family, which was first and foremost we had to survive because I started T three in nineteen eighty nine, which was in a very deep recession. Texas was in horrible shape. And mm -hmm. so I was highly motivated to, to turn a profit because my family depended on it. Basically, I'm not kidding. We had to survive. And so, um, so that was, that was highly motivational to me, but then it became interesting because I realized that if I grew the business and we could hire more people and I could give more people jobs and we could do some pro bono work, and we could help clients in a different way and we could invest in new people to bring forward new ideas or we could invest in new technologies. And so it became something that a lot of people, and I will say women, don't really scale their businesses. And that's always been a big thing to me is how do you scale something? It's not enough for me to say, okay, we're happy with 10 people. I always wanted to make this thing where it would touch as many lives as possible and for, you know, for a lot of those reasons I just mentioned. So I got really fascinated, and, and I will say this, that when I was uh, at Baylor Medical Center in Dallas, I started taking some business classes at night at the community college because coming out of art school, I didn't have, I didn't know the language of business. And I knew that when I was at the Richards Group because we'd be around a client and I really didn't understand what was driving their business and that upset me and I got curious about it. So I started taking business classes at night and then you fast forward me to Atlanta with the Harvard MBA guys and I really wanted to get an MBA then and so I went back to school again at Georgia State. I studied and tried to get my MBA in marketing, came back to Austin. We had no executive MBA programs or no night programs so I, I'm just shy of an MBA but that's not really what it was. I really always enjoyed how businesses work and the, the fun thing about being in my business was that we were able to touch so many different industries and everything from technology to healthcare to um, UPS was a big client of mine for years. And, you know, that whole shipping logistics business was is fascinating to me and how they would ship certain items that had to be for the healthcare industry with certain temperatures and just getting down in the weeds of all these clients were so, so much fun. And, uh, you know, we work with big banks and one of Chase's first big um, digital agencies and, and Marriott corporate. So I was always learning about different industries, which was so fun. And we would apply what we knew to those and then cross 
pollinate the learnings, especially as we became very savvy digi digitally early uh, on how we could share best practices across these different industries. So I just love business. You know, I, I love, I love the, you know, team building. I love how businesses work and how we could make a difference and really impact their bottom line, which was what we were supposed to do. So it was fun. You're very right. I mean, um, myself being in the industry for digital marketing industry for 10 years, I think there is an aspect to there's always a story with whatever business is out there. And there's always going to be um, a, a goal that they are. Like you said, you wanted to scale. Businesses might have different goals. They all have different stuff. So every place you walk into, there's a different story and there's an opportunity for you to learn, which it sounds like you are also uh, somebody who really enjoys educate education <laughs> and the actual just you know gaining knowledge, which um, we featured a lot of people on the queue, and that's kind of a, a common theme. It's just you 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 are um, uh, seeking information and seeking uh, as much knowledge as possible. Which is well, important. that's why I'm always interested in new things. Um, you know, I, I, could, I told you that I was an art major, but I didn't think I could make a career out of it at the time, and I probably would have failed miserably. But now that I'm going back. To it. I'm really trying to learn that industry and um, and not to beat this drum, but you know, women are still underrepresented in galleries and in, in art sales. And so I'm out to, I've been trying to beat that record. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's, it's, I'm, I've had to learn all over again. You know, it mm -hmm. wasn't something that I was doing. I, and, and I've learned the techniques again and what works and what doesn't and, and certain mediums that I want to be. In. And so it's really, it's all over learning again. And I think that's what always excites me. We have to be lifelong learners in some way, and you can shift your gears a a lot of different times and it gets to be a lot of fun to learn something new each day it does it does and there's a lot of hiccups along the way that you learn from which yeah. actually kind of ties into a question that you you met or uh, you've mentioned in the past there was a specific moment while you were working at agencies right before you um, started your own that there was a pres presentation you gave to uh, the, the the higher ups about what changes you wanted to make and they kind of just said you know what that's cute as the quote that you put it I would love to just get your feedback on that moment in your life and maybe even give people out there who are also in that similar situation um, well you know with again I, when I started T3 in 89 uh, right before that and during that was a very deep recession and Texas was in terrible shape. And so we were losing business in the agency that I was in. And again, it wasn't really because we weren't doing a great job. It's because what I mentioned earlier is that advertising budgets get cut really deeply when uh, the money runs out. It's one of the first things to go. You're going to keep your production up. You know, or you're going to try to keep your business going, but if you don't have to spend as much money in, in advertising, you'll cut it. And so that's what happened. And that is what happened to us. So I decided to step back and, and write a, a business plan around what we could do to shape the agency to succeed in the future. And it really was just not it wasn't accepted. I, I had a lot of peers in the agency that were excited about it. But as far as the most senior person there, uh, he was not. And I look back on it and, you know, it was, I was, I was asking a lot because I didn't bring him along like I should have. And that's a lesson for all of us. You got to bring people along and, you know, just come out with the tablets and go, ta-da, you know, here's what I'm going to do. And I was making a lot of assumptions that I would go do a lot of this stuff and it would shift power to me, really. And, you know, I think back on it. And so, 
So the, if, if you want to make something work, and I did learn a lesson from that, you got to bring everybody along because, um, you know, you don't just always, you know, surprise somebody with this big idea and expect them to accept it. And that was something I learned that we literally worked with our clients on because uh, a lot of clients wouldn't have always gone to some of the conclusions that we did if we didn't take them through the steps and bring them along and work on it together. People don't like to be just, oh, well, here it is. <laughs> you know, yeah. they want to say, I was a part of that, or there was a decision I came to. And so it's a really uh, valuable life lesson. Yeah, it is. No, you're very right. And I, I think it's tough to navigate that at the moment. And that's a great piece of advice because there is always going to be a defense mode or, or mechanism that gets brought up uh, with a change. <laughs> oh, and yeah. People don't like it. People don't like <laughs> no. changes. And, um, you know, the funny thing, too, I talked about Myers-Briggs, and I happen to be married to an INTJ, and some of my favorite people are INTJs on the Myers-Briggs. And they have a tendency to, as a type, to go off and, and you know, they go in their cocoon and they come out with, here it is. And so uh, one of the things I was able to do uh, in working with INTJs was I would take their, their stuff, which was good. Most of the time they had really thought through it and it was very intelligent and great. But I could help then sell it into the rest of the teams because if they just came out and said, well, here's the way we're going, people would immediately reject it so, and say, well, why didn't you bring, let us come in there and work on it with you. So, so yes, these are very important lessons that all of us can learn regardless of what time or what industry you're in because it's, it's and especially now, I think with uh, us working remotely, can you imagine and all these people trying to voice in and even even when we get through this pandemic, I, I think that we're never going to work exactly the same. So we're going to have to be really cognizant about how we include people and bring us together uh, to get to something more quickly so we can make decisions uh, fast enough. Right. And it, it's it's a, I mean, yeah, you have to, to break the clutter. Um, obviously, there can't be too many voices, but the voices have to have to come from the top and you have to some, and, but you also have to listen to the people who are on the front lines. So there's a very, very big, um, it's, there's a learning curve going on right now. And you're completely right uh, with being in the business uh, currently. It's like, okay, well, you have to listen to the people who are on the front line and just get the feedback, as much feedback as possible as you can. Um, and learn, um, because guess what? We're all going through this together. That's <laughs> <So>. right. <laughs> Nobody really entirely knows how to operate it, but um, you know, you've given some great advice just in pieces of like certain uh, recessions or uh, the times that you've you've gone through in the business space. Um, and then moving into T three, I mean, you 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 said you you really wanted to scale this thing up. How how did you do that? I mean, it, it was there. I mean, besides, I know you said you put people in place and properly and, and operationally figured that out. Um, but were you just hitting the hitting the streets, cold calling? Like how how was that? You know. <laughs> well, one one thing that was really interesting for us, um, we were in Austin, and in 1992, we started working with Dell. And Dell was small, and we were. But you fast forward that story, and it's pretty amazing because. Uh, Michael decided in the early 90s, and I mean by 94, that Dell was going to start selling on the internet because it perfectly fit their direct model of sales. And so we all joined hands together and figured out how to do this internet thing. And so because of it, uh, T3 was one of the really big pioneers in online marketing. 
uh, and all, all different techniques and emails and the, the online media we placed and so many of the things that we did and that's why we opened a New York office. It's, it really grew the business. And so what happened is, as that started to happen, we kind of got pushed sometimes aside, though, with the larger agencies out there still doing a lot of television saying, well, they just do below-the-line work. And I never thought it was below-the-line. I thought it was direct-to-consumer, direct marketing, and I thought it was really strong, and we could measure things. And when I started T3 in the beginning, my whole mantra was, you know, you got to measure everything. We got to measure things. We couldn't in the beginning. Then you get in the 90s, I started seeing how we could measure things online, and it was, like, so exciting because all of a sudden – our decisions, our decisions became so much more informed. So all this learning was going on. And at one point, Dell started to grow so much uh, that I had to kind of back away from it a little bit. I was always fascinated with it and I always run in there. But uh, as far as a new business standpoint, I had to sell around it. And so I, I brought in really strong people uh, to help run the business. And I went out and used what our knowledge was there and sold it into other companies. So, and by the time our youngest son was a senior in high school, I hit the road really hard. And I went and talked to people. I went and put myself in front of anybody I could who would listen to me about what we were going to do with online marketing and how they could shift some of the dollars from their traditional budgets over to what we were doing and could prove things. So uh, I worked really hard on new business. That's what I'm good at, though. Yeah. And so it wasn't, I wasn't out of my, you know, wheelhouse by doing that. I was very much doing what I love to do, and that was meeting people, uh, selling what we do, talking to people, garnering ideas, and, and selling the business. So I had some strong operational people, including my husband, who joined the company at one point, um, who helped get the everything working. So when I would bring the, the beast back to the door and drop it there, they would have to dissect it and take it apart. And I would go off and bring in another beast. <laughs> My husband yeah. always said the bloody carcass would get uh, thrown on the front door as Gay would go off and find <laughs> another one. <laughs> well, hey, Hunter, you know, you, you, you right. like to hunt. <laughs> that's right. Hey, that's using right. your strengths to its its best abilities. And that's, that's right. That's where it's, where it's but, um, what was the digital? I mean, those those conversations back in those days because you were such a pioneer with digital marketing what um how was it educating these these clients was it difficult were they kind of resistant to it or were they kind of i don't know accepting of this new technology both um but you know my my whole my whole mantra for t3 from the beginning was kick-ass work for clients who want to kick ass so you think about for clients who want to kick ass and it started to define the kind of clients that we wanted to work with. We were not always happy with the clients or who were complacent and wanted to do things as a status quo. We were looking for clients who were pushing the, out there and looking for new ways to reach their audiences. And so, uh, so by and large, a lot of the clients that we ended up with were the ones who were a bit avant-garde, you know, who were a bit uh, wanting to change their own careers and, and their companies and experiment with things. So uh, it, was, it was pretty exciting to be able to do that. But it wasn't easy a lot because, again, we were up against these enormous budgets uh, that were going into broadcast television and media around that, as well as some other traditional advertising. And so us getting our little small fair, what we little 
piece of the pie was sometimes really hard. And we were getting into these big companies because of our Dell experience, because we had proven we could scale. And when you talk to me about scaling, that was always the big question. I'll never forget, I walked into Allstate uh, in Chicago and, and was trying to meet with somebody there. And the first thing they said to me was, if we give you some work, can you scale with us? And I said, yes, we can. And I'm going to prove to you how we did it. And we did it with Dell over and over. Sometimes if Dell came in with a big new agenda, we'd have 20 people on the ground in a month ready to go. Uh, and so it was something we had proven we could do. And that's how we were able to get some more business and, and convince some of these clients is that I had a track record of being able to scale. One of the things for a small business, especially in our industry, you have to be aware of is that uh, these large companies, if you want to work with the giants, don't want to gamble on a small company because if they give you too much work and the wheels fall off and you break, then they look bad and you screw up their project and off, you know, you're, you're out and, um, and it can waste dollars and time and be really, really horrific. So they always want to know, can you grow with us if we give you the business because we don't want to invest in you is what they're saying, and teach you our business if you can't grow to the next level with us. So that was what, how we did it. Uh, we mm -hmm. would always say, yeah, we'll, we'll, we're there with you. And I invested in, in employees ahead of my clients, like I said. And I could yeah. do it because I was independent. And there were I never borrowed a dime to run the business. There were no banks breathing down my neck, no investors. And so I could, no board of directors. I just made the decisions. And if I wanted to spend, you know, my profit or a lot of my profit that year on hiring five new rock stars, I did it. And then we would trot them out in front of the clients and say, hey, here's what's next. And it 99% of the time that paid off for me. Wow. Yeah. I mean, of course, I mean, when your, your goals are aligned and it's, it's your goals as a business and their goals as a business align, you can both, you know, fruitful. I mean, you gotta, you gotta find the right businesses and you did that. So, well, <laughs> we were fortunate. Yeah. We were fortunate. And I think we had that track record with Dell. And so that made, it was huge. I mean, just the fact yeah. that we had that. Yeah, that's a good uh, case study to go into. Um, although Dell wasn't, like you said, when you first started working with them, I mean, Dell was big, but, you know, they... they oh, were, they were little, really. You think about <laughs> it. Uh, I mean, you're 92. They weren't very big. It was just a small a small company in a lot of ways. So for us to be able to grow with them, we had a 16-year relationship with them, and it was uh, truly a game changer for us in many ways. And then we lost the business because I wouldn't sell the company. <laughs> they wanted me to sell to a holding company that they decided to do business with, and I said no. Uh, in very colorful terms and so we had to walk away from business again it was very painful and it was a huge chunk of business to lose but it was another time that I went back out to the market and said look at this staff that I have built that can do these things that you're starting to transfer your money into and see this was in the 2009 recession and uh, everybody was hurting anyway but it was an interesting story I could tell that I would you know go to these fortune 100s and say you gotta shift your advertising dollars out of traditional because you, it doesn't make sense to spend that much money give us X percent of what you have left in your budget after this recessionary hit and we'll prove it up and we'd prove things and move up and move up. And then once it all, the, the dust settled around that, we'd end up with a, a nice piece of business. Yeah, no, totally. And I guess at that point, the digital space was changing even more rapidly with the growing 
uh, ad space pre-roll, obviously ad serving is a lot better then, and then oh, you yeah. track things a little bit better, um, social media. <laughs> I mean, how did you, I mean, throughout the entire time you had the agency, you had so many different changes. Um, did you have um, a research team or did you have an implementation team that really kind of, uh, I mean, I'm sure you were on the forefront of it, but you know, how did you navigate that space? Well, we were always looking at what's next. I mean, that's just the way I do everything. Uh, I, I'm never satisfied with the status quo, and I'm always looking at, well, what's next, or how's a better way to do this, or something is where are the clients we always used to laugh or talking into their watch, then we, we better, better be on the watch. And now I'm laughing because Apple did that. Yeah. But that was years ago. Um, and so, or talking into a ring or whatever we would we'd laugh about, you know, what? how do we want to communicate with these end consumers? And so we would always figure out, well, how are we going to get there and how are we going to do it and how are we going to do it creatively and do it best so that when our clients are ready to go, we, we're there. When you ask about, did we have a research team? Yes, off and on we did, but a lot. But I tried to instill in everybody in the company, ideas come from any place. And so nobody has a corner on the truth about being the innovation team or the research team. Yeah, we, we have people who are good at that and that's what they do, but everybody is responsible for coming up with something different, a different way to look at it or challenge an idea. And so that was just a culture we built. Uh, I was around, hey, what's next? What can we do? How can we make this better? And it can come from anyone. And we welcome that. And that's the kind of people we hire. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, I mean, it's, it's, um, I think that's a very inspiring thing to say too, for a lot of people who are maybe at a bottom level, you know, Hey, we, I have these ideas. Let me, and again, like you said, bring along those people <laughs> to then come up with the next big innovation. And that's just how business is done. Well, and I, I honestly think that after we go through this time we're in right now that we really do need to call down to every person and we used to you know the harvard uh, term is in the lowest level implementation and um, that's just a b-school term but it's where anyone who's in any part of you know a business or whatever has an opportunity to speak up and be a game changer and uh, look at things differently so to improve all of us so that's something I'm really looking at and one of the things that I enjoy is uh, building leadership skills and so that's why I wrote the book and I'm really looking at how to scale that again moving forward because I, I really believe that we have a dearth of leadership in many ways right now uh, and I don't mean that necessarily from what's going on with this specific thing, but um, I do think that moving forward, we have got to build in a pipeline strong leaders. Um, and how do we do that? And how do we impart those values and ethics and skills and tenacity and all the things it takes to, to lead people? Because we need that. Yeah, and we're in a we're in a society where, like you said, if everything moves remotely, you know, how do you lead in that environment, and how do you navigate that landscape? That's a whole different beast. So, um, it which uh, it's it's interesting, and I, I I think in in the value of you being able to offer up what you've been through, your experiences goes a long way to someone like myself, somebody who is um, you know in the midst of, of of you know first quarter of their career, maybe I don't know when I'm going to retire. Who knows? I'm a millennial, so it's not like a, a thing even in in my mind. Um, but but no. With that said, you're right. I think there is um, 
it, we need more examples of, of good leadership. And well, and, and examples, and then also just really that tangible example. Um, I've done a lot of mentoring in universities and with, with students all over the country and, and actually in the world. And it really is helpful for someone to be able to touch and feel and and understand these people. I've had so many, especially women who say, I've never met anyone like you. And I don't mean that in, you know, in the way it may, may sound, but they had never really had a chance to sit around a lunch table and really talk to somebody who had been through some of these things and has, uh, you know, advice that they could learn from. And uh, maybe they had just hadn't been exposed to, to people like that. So we have to be more tangible. We have to be more hands-on. When, oh, my gosh, that's my dog, Henry, in the background. If you oh, no, he's fine. <laughs> oh, Henry, goodness. <laughs> we are at the ranch, everyone. Um, and so, um, but it's it's really an interesting time, I think, to to be able to teach in a way that we have to impart these skills when a lot of folks don't really have exposure to it. And you may have some, but it's not hands-on. You know what I'm saying? It's not mm-hmm. like right someone they can really relate to. Yeah, no, totally. And honestly, I think um, something I also wanted to ask you about, which is your your women's uh, equal rights in the workplace and and the what you did at T3 specifically with uh, your T3 and under. You know, like you've talked about that on numerous different publications and I definitely wanted to, to kind of get your thoughts and maybe give uh, some other women advice on how to navigate the, the space still. Well, you know, I, I'm a big believer, and I, I do talk about this in the book as well, but, but don't totally get out of the, the core is what I'm saying. When If you do have children uh, and you want to stay in the workforce, I'm totally fine with someone who doesn't necessarily want to go back to work and who wants to be a stay-at-home mom or have the... The, the, that's a career choice. You know, that's something that you decide to do. Uh, but I worry about anyone who has in the back of their mind that they'd like to go back at some point or whatever. The longer you're out of touch and the longer you're out of ideation and being around active people who are solving business problems, the harder it is to get back in. And now more than ever, because we're changing so fast and technology changes so fast. So I always say stay in the game somehow. Uh, that's why one of the reasons I did the T3 and under program almost uh, 28 years ago now was I wanted uh, women and then a lot of dads participated and still have to be able to have that necessary time with your child, but then come back in the workforce, bring the baby in and uh, be able to segue back so that you don't completely drop out. That's the time where I see most moms, including I've, I've been through this myself where I was tempted to, um, drop out of the workforce because, and, and I didn't have the chance to work remotely. That wouldn't even be an option back mm-hmm. when I was, you know, having children. But um, I think you have to kind of, for all parents, be a great parent, but think about they're going to grow up someday and then what are you going to do? <laughs> and, and you you know, if you, a lot of people have to make money and you, you can't, don't have the luxury of just walking away, but stay involved, stay informed, stay curious and freelance. Um, or work some way where you can still stay in the game because it, it'll make you a lot more marketable down the road, uh, even when you do go through that time when you have to, to consider having a family. Right. Yeah. And that's um, it's it's you're right. It's it's difficult to stay in it, and when you do lose that perspective, um, and you also gain a new perspective because you have kids. <laughs> so that's you, right. You that's right. You learn a lot 
lot from them. <laughs> yeah. And that's a, that's an interesting thing to get back to the work environment workplace. Uh, so no, it's, it's, it's very true. Um, well, I definitely wanted to ask you too about um, what you're doing now uh, with speaking and then also um, with your art. Um, you mentioned that you're at your art, uh, your ranch art, art exhibit right now, but I wanted to, to get people, you know, give people the word and kind of what you're doing uh, with, with your skills. Okay. Well, uh, I was so fortunate because a few years ago, and once again, I'm a master connector. So that's what I call myself. I uh, love the fact that I'm able to connect people all the time to individuals that can help them or open a job opportunity. Or even recently, I was able to connect someone with a very high powered position that they couldn't get into. And, you know, I was just glad I could do it because it could save their life, to be honest. And so I'm a master connector. I connected in New York uh, on sheepishly with some folks because I wasn't really an artist who might be able to help me with my art career and ended up with a one woman show at a gallery in Chelsea in New York. And we broke all the gallery records. We, uh, I sold 22 paintings in a few days. It was unbelievable, but it was all, you know, went back to just kind of, all right, who do you know? How do you do this? And how do you make that work? Mm -hmm. But um, that's really, really what I love to do is connect things. And so I'm right now continuing to write. I'm going to come out with something kind of new. I realized um, that the sale of T3, that I'm in a very, very small percentage of people, women especially, who started business from the ground up and was able to survive, first of all, five years, and then to survive almost 31 years and make a profit every year and, and, and say, sell the business at a good time is very, very unique. There's not many women like me. And so I'm trying to capture some of the things and, and lessons on how it all worked and, and why. But I also, like I said, I want to focus on mentoring and leadership. Um, and there's just a lot of things. We've built this gallery here at our ranch, and we have built what we call the Fossil Ridge Creative Center, which will be an enclave for creative thinking. Uh, this is what I, my whole life's been about. You know, it's, it's from the time I was a child as an artist all the way through, the thread that runs through it all has been around promoting creativity, creative problem solving. And honestly, you know, People don't realize this, but when you're an artist, you're solving a problem every time you pick up the paintbrush for me. Uh, it's, it's problem solving. And I get frustrated with my paintings sometimes, and then I fall in love with them, and then I hate them, and then I fall in love with them again. And uh, it's, it's really a problem solving. But back to the Fossil Ridge, we, we built this center here to uh, promote big issue solving. Uh, people coming together with uh, concepts that they like to bounce off each other and do brainstorming sessions and come out with some real thought leadership. So that's kind of where my husband and I are focused right now is making those things happen and continuing to foster creative thinking. That's great. No, I mean, uh, everything, I mean, that's, it's all facilitating creativity, innovation and all that. So, um, and where can they, I mean, get involved? I mean, can people, uh, I know that you have the, the website, um, uh, your website, but if you want to tell people how they can maybe get involved in all this. Yeah, I would love to know more. If people have ideas, uh, we're, we're going to do, we, um, We'll do off-sites here. Uh, we're, you know, also having some university students come out and professors and that sort of thing and some nonprofits I'm, I'm involved in. Um, but you can go to gaygaddis.com and all of the things flow through there. We have a, a way to contact me through that or really if they want to, they can, uh, my email now has changed. <laughs> it's gay at gaygaddis.com and I would welcome people's input. Um, we're, 
really looking for some exciting events to happen here. But um, right now with the virus, no one can come, but we're trying to set up some things as soon as all this clears up where we'll have some pretty exciting things happen. Well, you're right. We will get through this and we will, it, things will clear up eventually. And, and I think right. um, you've mentioned a few things that have, that possibly could change throughout all this. But I think one thing does remain constant is that people do need that connection. They do need that creativity. They, they need things. Um, so there's not like a, there's not a, a halt on, on uh, creativity uh, and, and that's still going on and that's still business is going to go on. <laughs> it will go on. Life goes on in some way. Um, and I, I really, since I told you I'm an extrovert, I really feel for all the extroverts out there because, you know, some of the introverts are probably enjoying this, <laughs> this time to kind of be away a little bit and not be in the middle of all the fray. But, you know, if you if your life revolves around uh, extroversion and really bouncing ideas off people and, and that human contact, this is hard. Uh, and and I, I find that uh, I'm trying to deal with that for myself, that um, how do you use this time and, and not get sad, really, because uh, a lot of my energy and a lot of people who are extroverts, our energy and our thinking um, and our creativity sometimes comes around just that human contact and interaction. So we have to kind of deal with this a little differently, maybe. You're true. It's very true. I, honestly, I've I've realized that um, I'm I'm in somewhat relief that there's technology that can still give me that outlet because I've talked to my family more than I ever have, <laughs> and it's through FaceTime. And it and it's not that I'm a bad son and I don't call my mom, which I know sons don't call their moms enough. So every <laughs> son out there should call their mother right now. But <laughs> but no, it's it's a. Uh, I feel like I am connecting uh, to some people who I probably hadn't connected with in a while, um, and so I do think this has given us some clarity of we need this connection we get it on a daily basis out in the world but we've been trying to grasp at it right now and and really we're, we're at this point within the first two weeks in of uh, what we are quarantined that we're really kind of grasping at the people close to us and people who we really miss and that could be co-workers friends i know a few of my co-workers we did a, a uh, a meeting and I could see their faces. I was like, God, I miss your faces. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know. It's like, I just like seeing people, you know, again, and then it, you, you know, it, it's needed for society. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting because I've seen uh, through emails and texts and things, some people are popping up that I hadn't even talked to in a while. I think we're kind of, those of us who need to reach out and reconnect, this is a good time to do that. But I've also noticed that a lot of people are, um, kind of withdrawn. It, 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 I think people are frightened and they're, and they're dealing with business issues that are so serious mm -hmm. that, you know, it, it's, it's, there's not quite that, it, you know, if everything was okay and we were sick, but everything was okay from a business standpoint, it would probably be a lot different. But uh, I know everyone's dealing in their own way with some very, very difficult decisions and some tough things. And I mean, let's say you're invested in the stock market, it's a good day or bad day, you know, and there's just a lot of things going on um, that affects all of us. And like I said, in sometimes in very unique ways that we can't even imagine, you know, it could be an elderly parent you're worried about. I mean, there's just a lot, a lot. And then these families who have their children come right now. Uh, I'm, I'm sure everybody's seeing this flying around on social media, but one of my favorite quotes was if, you know, if they don't open the school soon, the parents will come up with the vaccine before the scientists. Yeah. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, well, I, I have a lot of friends and employees and folks that are 
um, out there with their children at home. And in many ways, it can be good, but it's also hard. You know, it's, it's really hard to all of a sudden shift gears like that and um, and be at home. I'm wondering most, though, what the dogs and some cats are going to do when we all leave, <laughs> because the dogs are all getting really used to having people around them all the time and probably going to be sad when we all go back to work. Oh, you're exactly right. My dog uh, has been a shadow to me the past two weeks. Mm-hmm. My wife has been really jealous. She's like, I've realized during this time that he loves you more than he loves me. <laughs> it's, uh, it's created some sort of issue. No, uh, but no, it's right. Like, I feel like he's looking at us like, did you guys lose your jobs? Like, what's going on? Why haven't y'all left? <laughs> no. Okay, enough already. Yeah, he's like, all right, like, I need my space. That's right. <laughs> uh, no, you're right. I think there's going to be some separation anxiety on the on the, the part of that and even um, children. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine, um, you know, having a six or a, a, a toddler to um, really, I mean, I guess, a young adult, uh, like 16, I don't know, in high school era, and then they're just kind of trapped in this environment. And then you kind of have that separation and like, oh, are we able to go out in this? You know, there's going to be some, some paranoia there. Yeah. Especially depending on the ages of the children, you know, that they they won't realize, well, my mom's not going to be back all the time now. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, where's mom again? Oh, she's not drinking in the afternoon because she's so tired of y'all. She's actually going off and working. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Gay, honestly, this has been such an enjoyable conversation. And um, this is our first first virtual podcast. Thank you for being a part of it and allowing us to, and making time for it. Because I think a lot of people at this time do need to hear a voice like yours. And, uh, and really, I think it's, 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 um, it's really good to hear. So really appreciate you joining us here in the queue. Well, we've all been through some rough things. And, and we did mention earlier that uh, we have some of our generations who've never, never been through anything like this. And I've never been in, through anything like this, but I have been through some pretty rough recessions and some pretty rough business decisions through the years. And, mm-hmm. you know, you just have to kind of look ahead somehow and say, all right, how, how are we going to get through how we're going to help each other out and get through it so uh it will it will happen you know but it is just uh it it feels really rough right now so i empathize with everybody out there yeah well i i feel i feel better after this conversation (laughs) well good so do i (laughs) i needed to talk to somebody my husband's an introvert and he's tired of talking to me (laughs) hey all right same boat thank you so much all right thank you take care best wishes This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Q1 Media. Q1 Media partners with agencies and brands all across the nation for all their digital marketing needs, whether it's CTV, OTT, location-based mobile device ID targeting, search engine marketing, targeted display, any research and data that you need, whatever it is, Q1 Media can help with your marketing efforts. Please check out Q1 Media's website at q1media.com. That's Q, the number one, media.com. You can view case studies, examples of our work, uh, or just check out more episodes of the podcast, The Q, Conversations in Digital Media.